This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.30 a.m. for Holy Communion and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Please enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And there, renew the kingdom. These are the words of the prophet Samuel after after Saul led the people in battle and war to save a city the city of Jabesh-Gilead. After we read last week in 1 Samuel chapter 10, two signs occurred after Saul was privately anointed to be king by Samuel. Two signs occurred that really solidified God's choice in the people's mind. The first sign that we read of last week was the, the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul in the presence of the prophets, and he prophesied in and the prophets of God were witnesses. And the second was the public revealing, if you will, of Saul to be king of Israel. This week we see the third and final confirmation of Saul to become king of Israel. As we read last week when Saul was anointed by the prophet Samuel, he was anointed for the express purpose of defending the nation from their enemies. In this chapter this week, one of those enemies surfaces. He comes to confront Saul and the people of Israel. Saul's leadership here is to confront the evil of the Ammonites, and it foreshadows what the last king of Israel did in Jesus Christ. Throughout his earthly ministry, we read that Jesus continually confronted sin and its effects upon his people. This morning, let us meditate upon this important chapter and its application to our lives and the faith. Our chapter begins today with these words in verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. In the period of the judges, which this part of 1 Samuel encompasses, pressure from the enemies of God was a constant, everyday part of life. The people oscillated between serving God and serving self. And this caused vulnerability. The important passage in Deuteronomy chapter 28, speaking of blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, came into reality constantly. As we read in verse 33 of Deuteronomy 28, concerning times of disobedience, a nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and all of your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed Continually, The judges' period is replete with examples of the people being oppressed and crushed due to their unrepentant sin before God. This warning in Deuteronomy comes to a horrible reality here with the reply of Nahash the Ammonite to the people of the besieged city in verse 2, where he said, On this condition, I will make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. 
you think about it, the imagery here is indicative of the constant battle and war that we first read about and that is mentioned in Holy Scripture in the fall of mankind in the garden in Genesis chapter 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, speaking of, he, speaking of God, Jesus Christ later at the cross, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This struggle is seen throughout scripture culminating with Jesus Christ. Examples occur throughout the Bible of God's people due to their sins and not repenting being oppressed and crushed and the enemies of God having their heads literally crushed in battle and defeat by the hand of God to save his people. We see this repeatedly. The idea of the head of the body is crucial in understanding our salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Culminating in Christ crushing the head of the serpent, if you will, the head of Satan at the cross, a mountain named Golgotha, which means place of the skull, Christ's cross being placed in the skull. Jesus, as we read throughout the New Testament, is the head of the body, the head of the church. Not by accident, in my view, if you think about it, what do you think the name Nahash, the Ammonite, means in Hebrew? Nahash means a serpent. The storyline of Satan's temptation in the garden appears again here with Nahash besieging a town of Israel. This besieged town, as you read it, tries to make a deal with the devil. They try to make a deal with the serpent. This time the serpent in the person of Nahash is clear that he will enslave and turn the curse promised for his own head upon the people of God by gouging out their eyes, their right eyes. You think about it, slavery to sin binds us to sin. It binds us to death. It blinds us. It disfigures us. It oppresses us. It crushes us. Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, worked to free his people from the ravages of sin, whether through helping people with destroyed lives due to sin or through disease. Here the stage is set at the end of this section for this town to reach out for help. Often in our own lives we come to similar moments as individuals and as families. We hit rough spells where it feels we are being besieged by the nahashes of this wicked world. We have two choices, though. One is that we enjoy sin so much that our first instinct is to make a deal with the serpent, to make a treaty with the serpent for further disfigurement from sin. The second is that we send out messages to help to Jesus Christ, to his church. If our mode of living is a loose Christianity with little to no tangible connection to Jesus Christ and to his body, the church, we will often be deceived to think that treaties are the only thing that we can really do with the serpent. That we think that's our only option to make deals with this world rather than to search for help, to seek help in the church. If our mode of living is a vital connection, though, to Jesus and his church, we will seek help. We will seek the help of our fellow Christians. Asking for help as Christians should be, be a given, should be built into who we are as we continue in the body of Christ. 
Yet it is not, as we often try to grit stuff out on our own. A major aspect of baptism is that we submit to Jesus Christ fully to die in him, to be raised in him, to be sustained in him throughout all our lives. For infants, as we baptized Valerius this morning, the idea of all of us answering these questions and the godparents and the parents making promises on his behalf is owning that solemn duty that we must be ready to help when called upon. We must be ready to help our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ when they are besieged. It starts with his parents to raise and nurture him in Jesus Christ to be a Christian. Then if his parents need help and need support, they have his godparents, his sponsors to reach out to, to cry out for help. If his parents and godparents need help and support, they have all of us that were witnesses to do today, all of us as the body of Christ to call out to for prayer, for supplication, for help, for loving support. His parents and godparents promised to raise him as he is anointed with oil today upon his forehead as we pray to not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified and manfully to fight under his banner against sin the world, and the devil, and to continue Christ's faithful soldier and servant unto his life's end. When the Nahashes of this world seek to attack and besiege Christians, whether they be small children or adults, our baptismal vows assure us that we have Christ and his church to send the message to for help and aid. The second part of our passage, verses 5 through 11, records the plea of help reaching the newly anointed Saul as he was working in the fields with his oxen. As we read in verse 5, Saul asks this question, what is wrong with the people that they are weeping? We read then that he was given the bad news from Jabesh Gilead. And in verse 6, And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was kindled greatly. He then cut a yoke of oxen into pieces and sent these throughout the whole territory of Israel with the following message, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. It is often the case with human nature to keep our heads down to the work of our own lives what is directly in front of our own eyes while ignoring the pleas and the plights of others. As was the case in the parable that Jesus gave of the wedding feast of the initial group that was invited, we too can give similar excuses as why we will not help fellow members of the church when they are besieged. The point is that we often use the same excuses as why we will not attend worship services for why we will not help when called upon in the church. Indifference is a great sin in the church, as it has always been, as we see here in the time of Saul. As Peter Kreeft wrote, indifference is the only road that never gets to God. Saul broke the people out of this indifferent slumber with a call to answer the needs of their fellow people 
their fellow people that were in dire need. God called and anointed Saul to lead the people to defeat the enemies, just as we read today. The baptism of an infant is similar. It's a similar call out to all of us as Christians from times of indifference. This sacrament calls all of us to hold each other accountable in Jesus Christ through staying connected as his body. Baptisms bring us all together just like weddings do. We made promises today. His parents made promises today. His sponsors made promises today that, that should wake us up that should wake us up from the propensity we all have towards slumber and indifference towards each other. As Saul's call to arm this morning, the whole nation replied, as we read in verse 7, Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. And as we read, 330,000 people came to save Jabesh-Gilead. The following message was sent in verse 9. And along with the reaction from this town, tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Often when people have a mentality of not seeking help from fellow Christians, it's due to the point that they have had bad experiences in the church. And such they eventually shy away to the point they turn to other things for help. They make treaties with serpents, with counterfeits. See, the church, though, is full of redeemed sinners in constant need of God's help through Jesus Christ. If we think the church should be stacked with super good people that have no issues, that have no sin, we will be displeased. The issue is that if we think the church should be full of perfect people, we've lost sight of the reality of our condition. That every single Christian is in a perpetual state of need for Jesus Christ and Christ alone through his church, with her flawed people. If we can admit we are imperfect and that everyone is imperfect, it helps us see our need for Christ and our need to be part of his church and to be of help when called upon for our fellow believers. Saul then, with Israel, as we read, struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. The Lord used his anointed in Saul to crush the serpent, to crush the enemies of his people, to save his people. Throughout our lives, we need to remember that God grants us victory after victory in Jesus Christ alone against our sin. This point is driven, as we read today, throughout the baptismal liturgy. And in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Too often we confuse affliction with crushing. Jesus told us, after all, after the after his resurrection, right before his ascension, that in this world we would encounter forces of this wicked world that would afflict us at every single turn. Yet this affliction is but for a season, the mere whisper of our short lives. It is not eternal. The enemy has been crushed, not us. Yet at times we are perplexed at our circumstances, 
at why the Nahashes of this world continue to afflict us, continue to seek to do us harm, to drive us to despair. But in the end, with Christ and his church together as we are meant to be, we face all the enemies of the cross through Christ alone as our Lord. He alone is present with us every step of the way. His grace, we stand in him alone. After this great victory, the last section of our lesson today speaks of the renewal of the kingdom and of Saul officially being made the king of Israel. Note that at the beginning of this section with Israel fresh from this great salvation of the Lord, they said the following in verse 12, which actually harkens back to the last verse of last week, where there are some worthless men or worthless fellows that despise Saul, and Saul held his peace. We read here at the end in verse 12, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Speaking of the worthless fellows, Bring the men that we may put them to death. And then Saul intercedes in verse 13. He said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Israel's request for more blood was based on their perception that possibly this victory was their own victory by their strength, by their power. Saul quells this false perception by clearly stating that this victory was the victory of God at work for his people. Often in our lives and the faith and the church, we must be careful that we do not take pride in our works and our merits and our accomplishments, such as dangerous and has often been used in church history to justify inquisitions a lack of love, a lack of forgiveness, a false sense of taking action before the time. It is a spirit of impatience. It is what David later on in this book constantly battled against and throughout his reign as king, even while he was being chased by Saul after Saul fell away later in his life. We must, as David did, wait upon the Lord for his work upon each and every one of us, even upon people that we think deserve swift vengeance and wrath. Constant prayer for others, as called upon in Holy Scripture, as a matter of practice for us, is crucial. Yes, even for those that have big problems within and without the church. Praying often for others helps us to dispel our more fleshly desires for instant vengeance. Instead of seeking an inquisitional model based on self-righteousness, Samuel said this in verse 14. Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. In verse 15, so all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Instead of going on a path of seeking vengeance, Samuel called them to a place of worship, to the place where they made Saul their king before God. The, Lord, the answer the Lord gives us every time we think we have to take matters into our own hands is to come and worship together as his people, to wait upon him. He calls us to gratitude and response 
to his grace, to his victories that he grants us. Not ingratitude through seeking to make those that we think deserve it pay for it. Such is the work of God in his timing, in his ways. In our worship, we're called in our gratitude to pray without ceasing for all people. Such is the way of submission to Christ our King that crushed Satan under his feet at the cross to wait upon him in faithfulness, worship, constant prayer, and Christ-like love. The idea of renewal of the kingdom is important for us as well. Every time we obey Jesus to gather to worship, his kingdom is renewed. Every time we answer his call for faithfulness to partake of the Holy Supper that he gave us, his kingdom is renewed. Every time we baptize a new member into his church, his kingdom is renewed. Worship of our divine king is key, for it is what calls us as his people to live in him out of loving gratitude. May we continue to serve the Lord in the beauty of holiness. He provides us with every single need. May we remain humble in our prayers, humble in our worship, and humble in our approach to our enemies. May we know his love through Christ that defeated and crushed the serpent forever, saving us from death through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, assuring us of resurrection and eternity in his presence to worship him. Let us renew the kingdom. Amen.